come together as God's people, isn't there something special about that and share a fellowship together? And uh, we want to sort of explore that idea together today, just the fellowship, the partnership that we have together as Christians in the gospel. And uh, I encourage you, invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to um, spend some time there this morning just um, going through that. And uh, as we do that, maybe just ask you the question, uh, are you in a team? Have you, have you ever been in a team? What's, what type of team teams have you been in? Play, for, play sport together as a team. Or maybe in your work, you work together in a, in a team, coming together, partnering together for a purpose. And um, I suppose this time of year in church life, some of the ministries start to start up again, and maybe you serve together in a ministry in the church as part of a team. So we're pretty familiar with this idea of teamwork, but here, here are some sort of very famous teams that you might be familiar with. So the first one is the Red Arrows. So you think about this, the Red Arrows, real, you know, it's amazing, so much to be admired about that teamwork, how they fly so intricately together, the maneuvers, so much trust, depend on each other as they work together as a team. Or maybe one we're thinking about at the minute with the Rugby World Cup, how a team comes together, and it's quite unusual in rugby because there is a real mix within the team, real variety. Like you've got your, got your people in the front row and they're, you know, cauliflower ears, hard necks, rubber noses, solid guys. And then you've got your scrum half and he's small and quick. And then you've got your people in the backs who are nimble, fast, slim. And they all come together, in a mix, diversity of skills, but they, they come together with one purpose. Or sometimes we see this in nature. You think about, about birds when they, when they emigrate, how they, they join together, support each other, rely on each other, something to achieve, something that they, they couldn't do on their own, coming together as a team. And teams are things we're familiar with, but what about in this setting? Like, this is a team here today, partnering together for the gospel. And it's important to recognize that, that we work together as a team. And Paul here, he's writing to these Christians, this group of Christians in the city of Philippi, and he wants to strengthen them, to build them up as a team. And there are some great lessons for us to explore together. And three things just to maybe frame to look at together this morning, Paul, he, he introduces them to this idea of this coming together with a single purpose. You know, we're all different, but coming together, uniting together, partnering together for a single purpose. And then he explains to them how that the importance of humility within that setting. If we're gonna, if we're gonna be effective as a team, we need to be able to relate to each other. And how do we do that? Paul explains to us that we do that through humility. And then finally, he presents this great example to us. He says, let this mind be in you that was also in Jesus Christ. So he, he gives us a model to follow, an example, a pattern. And so this is, this is the teaching that Paul 
He's given to us to come together as we partner together as a team for the gospel. So let's read together Philippians 2, beginning at verse number 1. Philippians 2, verse 1, Paul says, "So, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any comfort for love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy, being of the same mind, having the same love, being of being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you see, see how Paul begins here. He, he, asks, he asks a question. He, he says, if there is any encouragement. And this, this, is a, this is a rhetorical question. You know, Paul's not asking this question to expect an answer. He's asking this question to make a point. If there is any encouragement. Well, well we know there is encouragement. And you maybe experience this. I experience this quite a lot. I get asked the question, you know, what time do you call this? You know, you're late for something and what time, what time do you call this? Well, we all know the time. But why are you asking that question? To make a point to emphasize it. And so here's what Paul's doing here. Like the answer is obvious. He's, he's asking this question to emphasize the point. He says, if he's really saying, because there is encouragement. Like we, we have been encouraged in Christ. So maybe ask yourself this, the question in another way. How have you been encouraged in Christ? Do you know, what comfort do you know that comes from being loved by God, right? you, do you know that the help that you're living with, the help, the partnership, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit? How have you felt the care and the compassion of Christ? Paul, he's reminding us, he's reminding these Christians and he's reminding us that the blessings that we have been given, they're, they're, there's common ground here. Like these are, these are, these are, foundations that we can build on obvious things that we know we have experienced and then he, and he goes on in verse 2 and he, he uses a different technique he, he uses repetition and he really says the same thing but he uses four phrases to repeat it he talks about um, be of the same mind have the same love be in full accord and in one mind and it's like you know learning your times tables just rep repetition repetition He's just emphasizing the point. 
the common ground that we have and the importance of being in one mind. Why, why is this so important, Paul? Why, why is this unity? Why are you repeating this? Why are you bringing us back to this, this, this mindset that we need to have one mind? Well, this is like a theme that he ex- explores quite a lot in this letter. Really, Right at the start, he uses this phrase all. He talks about how that I pray for you all. I hold you all in my heart. And there's a great verse in chapter 1, verse 27. He says, he says, I encourage you to stand firm in one spirit, in one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Like he's uniting these Christians together. He, he wants them to see the common ground that they all share. And from that foundation, that common ground, then to move with one purpose, one single mind. And it's a, it's a lovely thing in your imagination to try and think about the people who would have heard this letter being read out. So in this room, as, as this letter from Paul was being read out, you, you would have had a very prosperous businesswoman called Lydia. And then, and then maybe at the, at the other side, you would have had a... a a lowly state of the servant who at one stage had, had been a jailer. And then in a different state you would have had a young woman who, who was delivered from being possessed by demons and who was released from the control of wicked men. And, and you see the diversity. They were all, all so different, but they all shared this common ground, this union together with Christ. And Paul is reminding them, like, what unites you is more significant than what makes you different. What unites you is more significant than what makes you different. And it's the same for every community, every team of God's people, isn't it? Like, we're all so different. You know, we're different ages, different stages in our lives, different personalities, different jobs, hobbies, interests different stories of how we all became followers of Jesus Christ. So much diversity, and we all have a unique story. And yet, yet it's the same story. We're all together, sharing this common foundation of union together in Christ. And that's, that's a really powerful witness. When you compare that to compare this unity that God's people have together, like, that's so distinct from anything else that there is out there in the world. You know, sports teams, like they, they try and cultivate this. You know, you think about the Rugby World Cup. These teams have spent 12, 13 weeks together, just coming together to bind together with this one purpose of winning the World Cup. They've invested so much in, in trying to bond together. You think about at elections, how political parties, they, they mobilize all their base to promote their agenda. Companies, like they invest millions and millions of pounds in trying to uh, cultivate this culture, of trying to create this unity. And yet, here we are. Like, it's already here. So unique among God's people, this bond, this glue that holds us together. And Paul here, he's teaching how important this is and also how powerful it is because as the world watches on, it's such a great witness, the power that Jesus Christ has to change our lives and bring us together. Like, would there be any other reason for us all being here this morning apart from Jesus Christ? 
That's what binds us together, partnering together as a team for the gospel. And that's important because it's, it's really, really insignificant that we recognize that there are threats to this partnership. Like Paul, that's one of the reasons why Paul is writing this letter. Like there, there are things that can destroy that partnership. And at the start of the book, you, you, like there's some really heavy pressure coming on these guys. Like they are facing persecution. Like Paul, as he's writing this letter, he, he's actually in prison. And you know that pressure from the outside coming onto this group, it, it can create cracks, can't it? When you when the heat comes on, cracks can start to appear. It's not just outward pressure he's talking about here. Later in chapter two, he starts to hint at murmurings and things that are beginning to fester within the church. So tensions, fractures that potentially can destroy the partnership from the inside, not just the outside. And Paul is teaching that if we are going to work together effectively for the gospel, if we are going to stand shoulder to shoulder together to contend for the faith of the gospel, in the midst of this pressure, we need to be united. We need to share and understand the common ground that brings us together. So he's, he's teaching us here to be united and have this one purpose, to partner together despite our differences. There is more that binds us together for the sake of the gospel. And then he goes on and he, he, he starts to explain in verses 3 and 4 how this plays out as we relate to each other. Because, you know, you ask the question, well, unity is really good, but how do you get unity? You know, and it's something that's easy to talk about, but in reality, on the ground, it can be tense, can't it? Like as we try to relate to people who have different personalities and different preferences and, you know, how to, how to relate to each other. Paul here, he says, he gives us two instructions. He, he, he outlines secrets of unity. And he talks about the secret of unity is humility. Look at verse 3. He says, he gives us the first instruction. And notice how this is both negative and positive. He says in verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. So he gives us a negative and a positive. He says, don't, don't promote yourself. Don't do anything out of your own selfish ambition. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. And then he, he goes on, he, in verse 4 he says, another negative and another positive, let each of you not look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And this is something that's so important for us to be constantly reminded about. Because it's like the, it's like the point on a compass, you know, with all the best will in the world, you might move that point, but it just keeps flicking back, doesn't it? It keeps coming back, and your own selfish ambitions keep bubbling to the surface. And Paul here, he says, if we're going to be united together and partner as a team, like we need to be practicing humility with each other. And to do that, we need to promote other people above ourselves. And it's interesting how he talks about in verse 4, look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And so often, like, I think in, you know, about unity as carrying each other's burdens. You know, if someone's suffering, we'll all rally around and we'll help. And 
We tend to be very good at that. You know, that's natural. But what about, what about the other, when celebrating others' success? You know, when someone's interests are met, like celebrating that. That's a wee bit harder, isn't it? Especially whenever those interests are maybe things that we want. And getting promoted or moving house or having a family. And those are real natural things that we strive for. And when other people get them, it can harbor resentment. But Paul here, he says, actually, don't look, look to the interests of others. Promote the interests of others above yourself. And so he promotes humility. But how are we going to do that? You know, Paul, oh, I, I don't want to be proud. I want to be humble. But can you help me? Is that just something that I need to work on myself? And here he moves on in one of the great, amazing portraits of the Lord Jesus. He, he, he says, no, the secret to humility is Jesus Christ. He hasn't just left us to work this out ourselves. He's given us an example, a pattern, a model to follow. The secret of humility is Jesus Christ. And, and these verses, verses 5 to 11, are, are some of the most precious about the Lord Jesus. And many of us, I'm sure, could, could quote these verses word for word. They're just so precious to us that we come back to them time and time again. But why does Paul put them in here? Like in this section of unity within the church, partnering together, promoting these relationships, what worked, why is this very strange place maybe? You think where to drop in this great passage about truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Paul's saying here, like this is more than just a portrait. You know, you go into an art gallery or you see a lovely picture and you just, you just look at the picture and you admire it and you gaze at it and it promotes wonder within you. That's all really good, but it, this, is, this is meant to do more than that. This is meant to do more than just something for us to admire about the Lord Jesus. Paul here, he says, this, this is practical. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. The secret of unity is humility, and the secret of being humble is for us to have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. Let's read it again. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This example, this mindset, these values that Jesus Christ demonstrated. And they're there for us to follow. And it's interesting how, how Paul, he talks here about this humility of Christ as something that, that he did himself voluntarily. He self-humbled. And that's, that's unusual because in our experience, we tend to be humbled by something from the outside, don't we? You know, people humble us or... Maybe circumstances humbles us, where in the King James Version it says that it, he was made of no reputation, and sometimes we can have that brought on ourselves where our reputation is destroyed. Now you think today of, of the cancel culture, how people are just, just wiped out by others. But here, it's a different model. 
It's a different, different pattern altogether. This is self-humbling. The Lord Jesus, he, he emptied himself. And Paul here, he describes here the contrast that Jesus has. How he was in the form of God. And yet, without losing any of that deity, he took on himself the form of a servant. What a contrast. And Paul talks about how he, he became a man and then also talks about a servant, but the order of it's quite significant. In verse 7, he says that he, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, and then he talks about being made in the likeness of men. And if I was writing that, or like a natural order to that would be God becoming a man and then becoming a slave. But what, he, what he's doing here is he, he's stretching, he's stretching the contrast. God, slave. That's what he became. God, and he's stretching the boundaries. And that's, that's meant to blow our minds. Like When you think about the Lord Jesus Christ, like the highest place that heaven affords is his by sovereign right. And here he is. He becomes a slave. This is the foundation that Paul wants to build this argument on. And so often like, we can reduce it and dilute it and try and restrict it. And then the effect of it becomes quite minimal on our lives. But if we, if we grasp what Paul's teaching us here, that God became a slave willingly, voluntarily, the self-humbling of Jesus Christ. But he also draws us to the obedience of Christ. Look what he says. He says he, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And you think of obedience. Like you're, you're following, you're, you're obeying something. You're following a command. And here the Lord Jesus, he, he's, he's following the command of his father. He became obedient. And you remember in the garden, as he anticipated the agony of the cross, how he said, not my will, but yours be done. See, no selfish ambition there. As he lived this out, this, this looking to serve the interests of others. And Paul says, let this mind be in you as you partner together. And he becomes obedient to death, even the death of the cross. And you see here the echo of the Garden of Eden. You know how Adam and Eve, how they, they refused just to settle for being God's servants. How they wanted to be equal with God and they, they disobeyed God. Here, Jesus Christ, he, he becomes, willingly becomes a servant. And obedience lives it out. And you see the reality of Romans 5.19 that as by the one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. So this is a portrait for us to, to gaze at, to wonder at, but to apply to our lives. Like this is so practical. Let this mind be in you. And I wonder, just as we finish, have you ever had the experience of reading a book and then going to watch the film or watching the movie 
you know, think maybe of the Chronicles of Narnia, reading all those books. And then when they come out in film, going and seeing them. And it's quite a, it's quite a interesting experience. You know, you have your own imagination of how things play out. But when you see the drama in front of you, it just adds so much to it, doesn't it? The, the colour, your imagination, it expands your understanding of it. And this passage, Philippians 2, 5 to 11, this script about the Lord Jesus Christ humbling himself and self-humbling himself and serving others, like there is a really powerful drama of this in John chapter 13. As Jesus gave to his disciples and served his disciples, hosted for them a meal in the upper room. And John John describes that in his gospel and he starts by describing all the things that Jesus knew. So he talks about Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world. He explains how that Jesus knew that, that the Father had given all things into his hands, how he was equal with God, like everything was given into his hands. He knew that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. And from that place, though he was equal with God, he, he didn't count that a reason for not to wash the feet of the disciples. But John, John recounts the drama, how that Jesus rose from supper, from sitting at the head of the table, that place of honor. And he, he takes off his outer clothes and he dresses as a servant. And then he, he becomes a slave to wash the feet of the disciples and wipe them dry with a towel. And just, just imagine that image of Jesus Christ, the one who was equal with God. God had given everything into his hands. He knew that. He knew where he had come from. He knew where he was going. And he rises from the head of the table. And he comes and washes the feet of his disciples. And then when he had finished, he, he robed himself again. And he returned to the place at the head of the table. And it's just melts you, doesn't it? Like melts you in the reality of it. But it's, it's also really interesting what Jesus did next. And he does two things. And the first thing he does is he asks them a question. And, and he says to them, do you understand what I have done? Do you understand what I have just done for you? And that is a question that he asked each of us. As we understand this reality of this being applied to our lives. Like, Do you understand what Jesus Christ has done for you? Like, That's the reason why he, he left heaven. Why he humbled himself. Why he died on the cross. It was, it was for you for your interests, for your good. And the second thing he asks them, and he tells them, is he, he says, what I have just done for you is an example. He says, if I am your Lord and teacher, and I have just washed your feet, you ought to wash the feet of each other, for I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. This is the mindset that we're to have. Jesus has lived it out 
he has washed our feet. Therefore, we are to wash each other's feet. So, as we reflect on that, are you in the team? And this morning, are you part of this team? Have you answered that question? Do you understand what Jesus Christ has done for you? And if you're, if you're on the team, what, what part are you playing? And what we're doing here this morning, this is, this is team time. And we're building, are you building each other up? Are you partnering together with your brothers and sisters for the furtherance of the gospel? Here, Paul, he gives us this great teaching to, to be of one mind, like to recognize the common ground that we have that unites us. It is more significant than what makes us different. To be, to be humble as we relate and live among each other, like to practice humility and to follow this great example. Have this mind in you that also was in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together and ask God to help us with that. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your word. Thank you that the entrance of your word brings light. And Father, it exposes things in our lives that we need to change, but it also directs us to the path to follow. And Father, we thank you for this teaching, this, these examples, these lessons that we can learn and put into practice as we partner together for your gospel. Father, we pray that, that you will help us to do that. Lord, you tell us that where the saints dwell in unity, the Lord commands a blessing. And Father, I pray for this team together here in Valley Halbert that you would bless them, that Lord, you would unite them, that any pressures that would be on them would be brought together, they would be of one mind, of one purpose, humble in their service, and following the example of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that we would be able to partner together in our communities for the faith of the gospel. Father, we ask these things for the good of your people, for the growth of your kingdom, and for the glory of your great name. Amen.